So you know that Pisces guy that I was talking to? Mm-hmm. Um, he's a streamer. Okay. So I've been to his streams, and he is, like, actually funny. Nice. I'm like, wow. Hmm. There's a lot of underground people like that who uh, stream on Twitch and really don't get the attention they deserve. Uh, you could say the same thing about podcasts. Maybe uh, one one in particular comes to mind where two people drink beer and talk about scary horror things, you know, where um, they're actually kind of funny sometimes, you know, uh, but uh, they just don't get the attention they I think they deserve. I love you so much. <laughs> <sighs> but that's cool. You're talking about and that's why we drink. Yeah, you, you got me. Uh, yep. I can hear them. What an angel. Welcome Oh, to episode 35 of Beer and Fear. My name is Zach. My name is Paige. I, I, I. This week, we are talking all about mummies. And, uh, not, and not, your, not your parental female figure. That's not Zach's attempt at a British accent. Mummies. Uh, the the people who are wrapped in linen usually is what we're going to talk about cloth cloth linen cloth with their um, organs removed through their nose. However, it is uh, getting closer to Mother's Day. If you're listening to this, it is um, next week, next mm-hmm, Sunday. Mm-hmm, if you're listening mm-hmm, to this, mm-hmm. so do you have any plans for Mother's Day? Yes, um, my dad made secret plans and didn't tell my mom. So mm. we're going to all be together and surprise her for Mother's Day. Nice at City Grill. Okay. Something like that. I don't know. She doesn't listen to this, right? No. Okay. My mom doesn't either. I I was trying to figure out what I was going to buy her. I I was like, mm -hmm. two moms. Right. So. Right. One mom looks at all the social media posts. (laughs) Neither mom listens to the show. Yes. (laughs) My Uh, dad doesn't really remember I do this, but he always fakes interest (laughs) and I appreciate him for that. (laughs) Yep. Um. Yeah, my mom doesn't either. So I was trying to figure out what I was going to get for her. And I was like, how about I just take her out to uh, dinner? So I'm going to take her to, um, uh, uh, oh shit. Do you not remember what it's called? I don't know. I don't know why I'm blanking on it. Um, Mater's. I just had to look at a map of Milwaukee, and yeah, it's definitely went there. Yeah, you went there. Um, yeah, no, I've been there before. I went there. Oh, your mom's gonna love it. I went there even before. She's been there before, also. Oh, god damn it! Um, but uh, I think she'll she'll appreciate the sentiment of me driving her out there and then paying for her meal. And You're she, such a such likes, a warm-hearted man. She likes German food, so yeah. Uh, people don't need more stuff, you know. You just you do something nice. So, mummies. Uh, so before we get into it, you want anything to recap about your week page? I keep saving tattoo ideas. Yeah, me too. I in got a whole my phone. I got a whole album on my phone too. And a lot of them are frog related. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm just gonna end up with an entire sleeve of frog tattoos. I would I would love to see a frog sleeve. Um I think I'm gonna do a half sleeve like right here up of just of frog tattoos. That's my plan. You should get I don't I don't know if I'm just like creating this 
picture in my head or if it's something I've seen before. Um, is some similar to this, where it was a frog and he had a, like a top hat on with an umbrella and a bow tie wearing a suit. <laughs> Look at that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. <clears throat> I dig it. And then I got this one. They're all dancing. Oh, I love that one, too. You're uh, 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 pop, pop sockets a frog. Yeah. And then I got this one. You're going to have a comic strip? Yeah. You're going to tattoo a comic strip? I will. I got this one. <laughs> like, you think I'm kidding, but it's like I'm no, healthy. You're not. <clears throat> no, it's good. Uh, I'm in full support of it. I'd love to see a frog sleeve. Um, hmm. Frog tattoo work. Um, I feel like I need to get more hobbies, so I think I'm going to go to a forest preserve and start collecting bones. Oh, yeah. And I need to go. All right. I dig it. A little weird, but support. You play the drums. That's plenty weird. That's fucking weird. That's what weird a weirdo. Who the hell does that? Uh, strangers. Mm-hmm. I need a hobby, too. but You have several. Uh, well, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying my free time now. Anyways, that's it. What about you, bud? Um, I had some really good cinnamon raisin toast this morning. Nice. Nothing crazy uh, this week. Um, I had a I had good good day today. Um, I went to Top Golf today. Yes. With my father. Yes. Uh, he invited me out to uh, teach me how to play golf, or at least how to hit a golf ball. My dad and I have done that before, just not at Top Golf. We went to an actual range. Yeah. He. Uh, I mean, we'd be. He's. He's. We talked about the idea of like going to uh, an out- outdoor range next time and um, doing the golf. But uh, he decided on Top Golf just, you know, for uh, in- introductory things so I could I could learn. And I've been to Top Golf before. Um, I didn't know what I'm doing. Like most of the people who go to Top Golf don't really know what they're doing. But you get there early enough and you see all the people who like are lugging their golf clubs out of their cars and like bringing their stuff in. So a lot of people go just to practice, which is essentially what we did. But he taught me you know, form and everything like that and technique. And he, this is another one of his, um, I guess, spontaneous hobbies, I would call it. Oh, is he like the kind of person that just like all of a sudden is like, I'm going to take this up. He gets like really into things and then then obsesses over. And then, yeah, it usually lasts for like, you know, anywhere from a few weeks to several months. Um, I don't know if he's going to if this is, is another one of those things where he's just going to... It doesn't seem like he's going to... Hey, gonna... we should get our dads together. My dad loves to golf. He can get your dad more into it. That'd be cool. Uh, and yeah, the four of us could go. That'd be a lot of fun. I can't golf worth a shit. My uh, back is terrible. No, it's fine. You can. I believe you. But... Um, I believe in you or I believe you? No, I believe in you. Okay, I, I believe you could you. do it. But... Um, it's all in the knees and it's just like, I got the worst knees. You got to bend at the knees a little bit. But I, I get the same things. I have those also where... I get, like, super obsessed over something. Yeah, like learning Japanese. Uh, yeah, or, like, soldering. I was going to solder cables. I was going to do that. So, And it's dangerous because you buy all this stuff. Or it's your like, drum brute. Yeah, yeah, all, all the, yeah, um, electric instruments. You get really into it, and you start researching it, and you start buying the stuff, and then you do it. Or your new computer. <laughs> well, no, I, I use that every day, though. Um, I know, but you did a gaming computer. <laughs> of course, because I game occasionally. Um <laughs> But, yeah, building computers was one of them. I got really into that, too. 
Uh, but that's like a thing where it's like you research it, you build it, and it's done. It's not like something you can keep doing. I mean, unless you keep building computers. Mm-hmm. But like you could maybe like constantly <clears throat> improve it or something. I would, I've seen some that have like water in them, and I'm like, yeah, yes, wow. water cooled. I'd love to, if anyone listening needs a computer, new computer, let me know. I'll build you one. You pick out the parts and pay for them, and it's a lot cheaper than buying a pre-built one on online or going to Best Buy and buying a pre-built computer. And you can customize it and make it your own, and I'd love to build it. But... Yeah, my point is all those hobbies where it's like you get super into it, you do the research, you buy the stuff, and then, you know, three weeks go by, and then you just have all this shit laying around. I've done that several times throughout my life, and um, I think I get it from my dad. My dad's done similar things in the past, but I really hope he sticks with golf because he seems to really enjoy it, and and he's passionate about it. Um, And I always thought golf was a little stupid. I never understood golf, but it's nice spending time outdoors. And it's good exercise, and it's a great way to stay in shape. <laughs> uh, so we went to Top Golf. That was fun. I feel like there was one more thing I wanted to talk about. Oh, um, smooth my balls did not get back to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sad. So, uh, missed sponsorship opportunity there. You we know are. what? You win some, you lose some. Yep. We will. And those are the ones that's it's going to hurt us. Remain sponsorless for the time being. All right, let's get in the beer. Episode thirty-five about mummies uh the beer that i picked and drove to arlington heights bennies for um is called wrapped in cashmere <laughs> that's it, funny it took me a while to find um a mummy themed beer and then i typed in a wrap on bennies and hey look at that there's some in stock Rap. it's by a brewery called urban brew labs and they're in chicago at 5121 north ravenswood avenue oh, that's a fancy street uh they brew uh, about 2,500 barrels a year. Okay. So on the smaller side, they're a smaller brewery. They're a smaller brewery. And here's a bunch of information on their website. So it's established in 2017. They're pretty new. Urban Brew Labs is a craft brewery serving Ravenswood area patrons with locally inspired beer brewed with the utmost attention to detail. With over 12 years of professional brewing experience, our co-founder and brewer, James, is excited to be producing beers desired by consumers fueled with local inspiration. Having a passion to brew a diverse array of beers using traditional ingredients and processes, our beers are sure to capture the timid beer drinkers while satisfying the most experienced craft beer drinkers. Oh, I think we'd, we're somewhere in the middle. I wouldn't call us timid, but we're definitely not experienced. No, we're definitely not experienced. More like <clears throat> hobbling our way through it. Mm-hmm. Journeyman. That's a good one. Apprentice. There craft, we go. Craft beer there drinkers. There you go. Our bottle shop is now open. I don't think it's open now for COVID, uh, but it's still on their website. It says, hey, it's now open. Within our shop, we offer an opportunity to sample our beers, tour the brewery, and walk out with cans or growlers of any beer we currently have available. The selection is always rotating, so please be sure to check in frequently. In addition to offering beer to go, we also have a wide selection of merchandise from us and our partnering vendors. We look forward to showing you the space. We have a wider range of styles of craft beer available from our Kiss Kolsch to Orion's Milk Stout. Having New England roots, we paid tribute to Massachusetts with Packy, our New England IPA. All beers are available in 16-ounce cans as well as draft throughout Chicago. Come by the brewery, bottle, shop, slash retail store in the heart of Ravenswood to pick up some cans or a growler of your favorite brews. We believe our core beers should be determined organically rather than telling our customers what we want them to drink. Our beer lineup is designed to be ever-changing, allowing the consumer to help us determine which beers will make a repeat appearance. You can find them and follow them at Urban Brew Labs on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Nice. 
So wrapped in cashmere, their description on their website is our newest release. This hazy and juicy New England IPA. I like juicy. Is double dry hopped with citra and cashmere. Wow, citra every fucking where. Yep. Uh, I think we've had all these hops. Um, we'll talk about them. Uh, and this is another New, Hing- New England hazy IPA. This will be our 12th IPA for the show. Jesus. And uh, we've had two other New England IPAs and two other New England hazies, Bat Squatch and Party Gator, uh, both of which were pretty high on our list. So I'm hoping, was hoping this one's good. Delicious. We've talked about IPAs to great extents in past episodes, so I won't go into a whole lot of detail. Craftbeer.com says this about New England IPAs. Emphasizing hop aroma and flavor without bracing bitterness, the New England IPA leans heavily on late and dry hopping techniques to deliver a bursting, juicy, tropical hop experience. Skillful balance of technique and ingredient selection, often including the addition of wheat or oats, lends an alluring haze to this popular take on the American IPA. And it says it's good to pair with Hawaiian pork tenderloin, Hmm. goat blue cheese, and Mm. matcha creme brulee. Okay. Uh, I found this little article on Beer Advocate's website that talks about hazy IPA versus New England IPA. Because the two seem pretty interchangeable. So this uh, user Discord, D-I-S-K-O-R-D, asks, what's the difference between hazy and New England IPAs? One response says, depends on who you ask. But in my experience, hazy IPAs are typically non-filtered, heavy heavy hopped. Uh, West Coast IPAs, for example, can be hazy, not strictly New England IPAs. So he says, New England IPAs are hazy IPAs, but not all hazy IPAs are New England IPAs. Okay. Um, Someone else says... Hazy IPA is a marketing term that allows breweries to cash on the New England IPA craze without necessarily brewing a New England IPA. Uh, So there's a lot of appeal of New England IPAs. Uh, They understand that it's mostly superficial. So they brew the IPAs that taste however they want, but they make them hazy and market them as such in order to appropriate New England IPA, the New England IPA buzz. So... A hazy IPA is really any unfiltered IPA, I suppose, uh, not necessarily referring to a New England IPA. But when I was reading through this, um, they seem to be interchangeable. Okay. Uh, they most of the time describe the same thing. Uh, so this beer was originally re- released on December 11th of last year. It was re-released March 13th of this year. It's brewed with Canada two-row flaked oats, acidulated malt, Canada wheat, and Cara Pills malts. And it is brewed with Eldorado, Citra, Mosaic, and Cashmere hops. I think we've had all four of those. I don't um, know. Have we had Cashmere? Cashmere is the only one I'm not entirely 100% on. Um, and I think you know, that's what lends this beer its name, wrapped Cashmere. Uh, it just sounds familiar, like we may have had it before. This uh, beer is 7.3% ABV, 30 IBUs, 6 SRM. On the lighter side, has no score in beer advocate. What was the ABV? Uh, Seven point three. Mm. Thirty IBUs. I'm kind of hyped for this because it sounds SRM. good. Yep. No score in beer advocate. One review and one rating of four point zero. Hmm. Uh, this is our, I think, fifth beer now, where we have no score on beer advocate. We're kind of uh, sucking. Going in blind. Whereas the first ten episodes, we didn't have a single one. Yep. It's a little weird how this is progressing, but. I'll get the beer. Thanks, Mom. Oh, you're my favorite cat. My favorite cat. So before we talk about the can, um, when I was at Benny's, I sent uh-huh. you I sent you a few snaps. I saw the um, Vera, the Goza. Well, yeah, I saw the Vera, but I saw that Goza that I that I tried to get for yeah, the Sour's that. episode. I was driving. Um, I 
couldn't buy it because it was in the section where you need to make your own six pack essentially Uh it was like 10 bucks it's like i don't want to take five other beers home i'll get it eventually when it comes uh you know in its own release seasonal release and then i saw the um vixen Mm -hmm. yeah and i almost i wanted to buy it so bad yeah but i you know i don't want to keep save it for a holiday one look at the look at the guy i saw He's a hot man. He looks very comfortable. With uh, shades wrapped in uh, purple, almost like velvet, but I'm... What I can only assume is cashmere. I would, uh, yeah. (laughs) Safe If I was a betting man. Safe bet. Can you open this for me? Sure. Urban Brew Labs is a small business made up of friends and family. Our beers are brewed on a 15-barrel system in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago. With a long family history in the greater Chicago area, we are excited to bring an array of beers to an area we love. Recommended glass, stemless wine glass. I have one of those. Oh. No, we're not going to do it. Stemless wine glass, huh? Thanks, bud. There you go. Got it. (laughs) Smell that fruity, hoppy goodness. Kind of smells like my perfume. All too familiar with. I like how they always smell different, though. Oh, two are the same. What's it smell like? Oh, hang on. I feel like every beer tastes like pine or smells like pineapple. <laughs> I smell. I smell mango, and I smell. Mm-hmm. It's like tropical fruit. Pine in a very light way. Yeah, it smells like trees. Mm-hmm. Pine is accurate. Pine and tropical. Tropical pine. I'd say guava, but it, I can't. Have to, I feel like it's gonna be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's good. It's got. Does it tingle on your tongue like crazy? It's got a hot bite right there. Well, there's like some sweetness to it at mm-hmm. the end. It kind of opens up. It's like very sweet. Once you're done swallowing. I feel like we haven't had a really dark beer recently. No, we've had a lot of... Uh, this last five episodes, they've all been IPAs, except the sour beer. I'll mix it up. <laughs> yep, very sweet and juicy. Um, I, I hate to say it, but it just doesn't stand out to me because, you know, it's... Another IPA. It's another double dry hopped IPA. I think it's important to um, evaluate them independently. I get a- that. As much as possible. Um, I, I appreciate the effort that you're going to to uh, evaluate them, in, but it's just kind of like for mm-hmm. me, it's like, yeah, I feel like I'm drinking Beezer. Yeah, the more we, um, you know, that's why we, we try to mix up I when we can. I a muscle spasm and almost spilled this everywhere. Oh, glad you didn't do that. Ooh. And I think that's another advantage of you picking the beer and then assigning a topic versus me doing the opposite. Because I'm, I restrict myself to finding beers that tie in with the topic. Uh, whereas you have more liberty in deciding what particular beer you want to drink. Um, like I, I probably would not have picked a hazy New England IPA if I couldn't have helped it, you know? Um, and I'm not, I don't regret this pick at all. I, I love it. 
Um, I do not hate it. I think it's um, it's a good beer. I'm not saying it's a bad beer. I'm just saying it's like it doesn't stand out to me in the way that it's like. Oh sure. This would be my number one pick. Also, yeah. right here hurts. Oh, that's weird. I'm falling apart. Um, yeah. Whereas like Bat Squatch, when we had our first hazy IPA, you know, blew us both away. We really enjoyed it. Um, after having a few of these uh, over the course of the last 34 episodes, uh, you're not as um, surprised by them anymore. But each each beer lends its own sort of character and uh, is different in, in each way. But we've had so many, like I said, 12 uh, New England IPAs. Or I'm sorry, 12 IPAs before, um, two of which are New England IPAs and yeah. then two of which are hazy IPAs. So um, it's good. It's just we've... Yeah, we've had this style before. Mm-hmm. Your cat's hilarious, The dude. little butt wiggle. Just like, I did it. I got that thing. You see me? Mm. I like the burp. Mm. The burp is a very good flavor. I don't I don't really know how else to describe this. I feel like I feel like I should be better at describing beer after thirty five episodes, but I'm not. I suck at it. It's kinda smoky. <clears throat> I get I get what you're saying, yeah. Uh, the finish is a little, you know, a little, uh, not tart, but kind of like, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. makes you want to smack your lips, you know, oh. like tannic, kind of like wine. Foam hangs hangs out on the side of the glass. The, there's really not a whole lot of head to this after it, it, it dissipates pretty quick, but the foam does sort of like linger. Is that, is that what people refer to as lacing? I call it stumps. Stumps. Yeah. Um, on the side of the glass, it, it does kind of hang out. Stumpy. It smells great. Tastes juicy and fruity. You taste juicy. Tropical. And it tastes like a New England IPA. Hazy IPA. And it looks like one, too. It's very light. I feel like it's kind of refreshing in a way because my mouth feels very, like... It's bright. Yes. Yep. However, well, I don't know. It It's a little crisp. It's not the crispest beer. Um, out of crispest, crispest beer that uh, out of ales that I've had before, especially IPAs. It's not too heavy. Uh, it's not too thick um, tasting. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good balance. I feel like that was a, a solid review, Zachary. You know, like I said, I try to get better at it. Feel I feel you trying. <laughs> hmm. uh, Latoya listens to our show. Yeah, she just texted me. She said, "Kentucky mules are bomb." Is she listening to it right now? We are live. <laughs> Mummies. Mummy. What are they? <laughs> Mummies. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> a mummy is a dead human or an animal whose soft tissues and organs have been preserved by either intentional or accidental exposure to chemicals, extreme cold, very low humidity, or lack of air. Hmm. So that the recovered body does not decay further if kept in cool and dry conditions. On this episode of Animal Planet. (laughs) Some authorities restrict the use of the term to bodies deliberately embalmed with chemicals, but the use of the word to cover accidentally desiccated desiccated bodies goes back to at least 1615 A.D. Mummies of humans and animals have been found on every continent. Even Antarctica. 
even in the Antarctica. Both as a result of natural preservation through unusual conditions and as cultural artifacts. Have you ever seen a mummy in person? Mine's named Melissa. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know I went to the, um, what is it, the History Museum in the, Chicago? The Natural History Museum? Yeah. Is that is that what it's called? I don't know. Um, the Museum of Science and Industry? One of those. Those are a different museum than different the one. one. The one that has Sue the T-Rex is yes. the one that's going to have a mummy. Yes. That's that probably... Because they was, have that whole Egyptian scene. Yeah, probably when I was really little. I've been multiple times, and I love those museums, but the Museum of Science and Industry is probably my favorite, because they always do those, like, pop-up ones, and I went to the Harry Potter one, and it was a lot of fun. Over one million animal mummies have been found in Egypt, many of which are cats. So, tell me now if you want me to, you know. Mummified Kosoda? Maybe later. When you die. (laughs) When I die... Yeah, you can take Kasoda. I'm saying mummify her. <laughs> Many of the Egyptian animal mummies are what? Yeah, the pyramids. Big Brother's listening. Oh my gosh. Um, are sacred. It's I B I S. Ibis or Ibis? I, I would say Ibis. Ibis. And uh, radiocarbon d- uh, dating suggests the Egyptian Ibis mummies that have been analyzed were from time or from time frame. A time frame. We're missing an A. A time frame. That falls between approximately 450 and 250 BC. Oh, okay. In addition to the mummies of ancient Egypt, deliberate mummification was a feature of several ancient cultures in areas of America and Asia with very dry climates. The spirit cave mummies of Fallon or Fallen. I'd say Fallon. Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, Jimmy Fallon. Oh, he's got spirit caves, (laughs) He's got his own cave. Nevada and North America. Nevada or Nevada? I, I don't know anyone who says Nevada. I say Nevada. You say Nevada? <laughs> At least no one. What about Navada? Who says that? <laughs> Las Vegas, Navada. I say Nevada. Nevada? That's weird. You say Nevada. You say Nevada? Nevada. I am the freak. I think more people say Nevada than Nevada. Oh, that's embarrassing. Don't leave this in. We're accurately dated at more than 9,400 years old. Before this discovery, the oldest known deliberate mummy was a child, one of the Chinchero mummies found in the, uh, uh, I can't pronounce it, Valley in Chile. Okay. Which dates around 5050 BC. Oh. The oldest known naturally mummified human corpse is a severed head dated as old as 6,000 years Found in 1936 A.D. in South America. Just the head. Just the head. Hmm. Do you go into... You know, never mind, I don't care. I'm going to leave you guessing. (laughs) I told you what I go into. I know you did. That's why I recovered. (laughs) Oh, that looks like a nice picture. It seems a little scary. That picture? Yeah. I don't see how. Um, the English word mummy is derived from medieval Latin, uh, mumia, 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 I'm gonna mumia, I'm gonna get you mumia, a borrowing of the medieval Arabic word mumia, mumia, and from a uh, Persian word mum, which means wax. Oh. 
which meant an embalmed corpse. Mm. And as well as the um, uh, embalming substance. The medieval English term mummy was defined as medical preparation of the substance of mummies. You go into, <laughs> have you looked into mummy powder? No. You've never heard about mummy powder? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, I'll go into it then. Okay. I'll pull it up. Hmm. The types of mummies are typically divided into one of two distinct categories. I'm ready. Okay. Anthropogenic, anthropogenic, I think, is something like that, or um, spontaneous. Okay. I want to be a spontaneous mummy. Spontaneous mummy. Band name. Uh, Anthro mummies were deliberately created by the living for any number of reasons, the most common being for religious purposes, and spontaneous mummies... Uh, were created unintentionally due to natural conditions such as extremely dry heat or cold um, or anaerobic Mm -hmm. (laughs) conditions such as those found in bogs. Hmm. Can't say I've been to a bog. Me either. I've been inside of a runoff for like rainwater. I just hung out in a puddle. Oh. That's what you did when you lived in Kentucky. (laughs) You hang out in a puddle. Uh, While most individual mummies exclusively belong to one category or the other, there are examples of both types being connected to a single culture, such as those from the ancient Egyptian culture and the Andean cultures of South America. Until recently, it was believed that the earliest ancient Egyptian mummies were created naturally due to the environment in which they were buried. In 2014, an 11-year study by University of York um, and University of Oxford suggested that artificial mummification occurred 1,500 years earlier than first thought. Ooh. This was confirmed in 2018 when tests on a 5,600-year-old mummy in Turin revealed that it had been deliberately mummified using linen wrappings and embalming oils made from conifer resin and aromatic plant extracts. The preservation of the dead had a profound effect on ancient Egyptian religion. Mummification was an integral part of the rituals for the dead beginning as early as the Second Dynasty, about 2800 BC. Egyptians saw the preservation of the body after death as an important step to living well in the afterlife. As Egypt gained more prosperity, burial practices became a status symbol for the wealthy as well. The cultural hierarchy led to the creation of elaborate tombs and more sophisticated methods of embalming. By the 4th dynasty, Egyptian embalmers began to achieve true mummification through a process of evisceration. Mm -hmm. Much of this early experimentation with mummification (laughs) in Egypt is unknown. The few documents that directly describe the mummification process date to the Greco-Roman period. The majority of the, um, I don't know if it's, because pa- uh, there's papyrus and then, I don't know, paper. Yeah. Anyways. Right. I know what you're talking about. <clears throat> uh, the majority of the, whatever, papyri, papyri, that have survived only describe the ceremonial rituals involved in embalming, not the actual surgical process involved, which I used to be very into archaeology when I was a child, and I was very into ancient Egypt, so I had these books on embalming, and I was just that awkward little kid that had, like, super dark books about putting organs in jars. Hmm. <sighs> Explains a lot about you now, current day. Well. Wanting to go find bones. I just want bones. 
Um, a text known as the Ritual of Embalming does describe some of the practical logistics of embalming. However, there are only two known copies, and each is incomplete. Hmm. With regards to mummification shown in images, there are apparently also very few. Another text that describes the processes being used in later periods uh, is uh, Herod Herodotus Histories. Okay. Uh, written in book two of the histories is one of the most detailed descriptions of the Egyptian mummification process, including the mention of using uh, natron in order to dehydrate corpses per pres uh, for preservation. However, these descriptions are short and fairly vague, leaving scholars to infer the majority of the techniques that were used by studying mummies that have been unearthed. <laughs> it's interesting how, like, even way back then, technology advanced throughout the centuries and this whole process got more and more efficient mm -hmm. and uh, better, you know, better outcomes, much like how technology advances today. But back then it was about mummies. By utilizing current advancements in technology, scientists have been able to uncover a plethora of new information about the techniques used in mummification. A plethora, you say? A plethora. Oh, boy. A series of CT scans performed on a 2,400-year-old mummy in 2008 revealed a tool that was left inside the cranial cavity Whoops. of the skull. Hey, when that happens. I don't think HIPAA's coming for that, doctor. <laughs> The tool was a rod made of an organic material that was used to break apart the brain to allow it to drain out of the nose. This discovery helped to dispel the claim within Herod um, Herodotus's works that the rod had been a hook made of iron. Hmm. Weird, right? <laughs> Just imagine being that Egyptian. It's like, I thought, man, I had my freaking rod somewhere. And then it's just like, oh. Oh, shit. And he's in the tomb now. Hey, Greg, don't, don't tell the boss. Don't tell, don't, don't, tell Pharaoh, don't tell Pharaoh. <laughs> don't tell Pharaoh. Um, Briar and Wade, which are two dudes that were trying to uh, replicate Egyptian mummification like you are prone to do, discovered that removal of the brain was much easier when the brain was liquefied and allowed to drain with the help of gravity. Yeah, of course. As opposed to trying to pull the organ out piece by piece with a hook. That. In my opinion, I'm imagining them going up through the nose with this hook this organic hook and just just scramble in the brains oh boy through various methods of study over many decades modern egyptologists now have an accurate understanding of how mummification was achieved in ancient egypt the first and most important step was to halt the process of decomposition and as any serial killer will tell you ice helps they don't have it in the desert though yes it does by removing the internal organs and washing out the body with a mix of spices and palm wine. I think nothing would be more relaxing than getting a body washout. Just cut you open, rub down your internal organs with some spices. <laughs> Very relaxing. And some wine. You know, it just a bunch of stuff just get mucks up in there. Yeah. You know, after a while. Your body gets exposed to so many toxins. Yeah, it's like cleaning an engine. In it the is. Car, you know? There you go. The only organ left behind was the heart. As tradition held, the heart was the seat of thought and feeling and would therefore still be needed in the afterlife. Yep. After cleansing, the body was then dried out with natron inside the empty body cavity, as well as outside on the skin. The internal organs were also dried and either sealed in individual jars or wrapped to be replaced within the body. This process took 42, or I'm sorry, 40 days. Why did I just say 42? 
Why was I, I thinking mean, of two? It could it could take forty two days if it. If you're behind you know, and shoddy in your work, one person maybe you just didn't. Greg didn't show up to know, work. Bigger body, or like you have a newer embalmer. You know, he doesn't really know what he's doing. After dehydration, the mummy was wrapped in many layers of linen cloth. Within the layers, Egyptian priests placed small amulets to guard the um, dead kid from evil. The dead kid. Well, I've always associated um, Tutankhamun mm-hmm. as like main mummy in my head. Yeah. So every time mummies are kids to me. Oh, They're children. I, I think that was the exhibit I went to when I was really little at the um, history museum. Mm-hmm. It's still there. Oh. Pretty sure it's a permanent exhibit. Oh. Well, it was like when it just came out. Mm. Yeah. Came out before you were born. <laughs> well, I don't know. They advertised it. It was like they had banners outside, you know? That was like the main I'm just fucking thing. with you. I know it was. I have no idea. I know. I, I, I remember the banners. I was a kid. <clears throat> it was like his, his mask, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got my, um, my name written in uh, hieroglyphics. They advertised that. I took it home. Yep. And kept it forever, and now it's missing. What's at my mom's? I think still. Uh, Once the mummy was completely wrapped, it was coated in a resin in order to keep the threat of moist air away. Resin was also applied to the coffin in order to seal it. The mummy was then sealed within its tomb, alongside the worldly worldly goods that were believed to help aid it in the afterlife. Nice. Uh, mummification is one of the defining customs in ancient Egyptian society. Um, the practice of preserving the human body is believed to be a quintessential feature of Egyptian life. Yet even mummification has a history of development as, and was accessible to different ranks of society in different ways during different periods. There were at least three different processes of mummification. They range from the most perfect to the method employed by the poorer classes. Mm. The most perfect method... And the most expensive process was to preserve the body by dehydration and protect against pests such as insects. Almost all of the actions described served one of these two functions. Uh, First, the brain was removed from the cranium through the nose. The gray matter was discarded. Modern mummy excavations have shown that instead of an iron hook inserted through the nose, a rod was used to liquefy the brain via the cranium, which then drained out the nose by gravity as we went over. The embalmers then rinsed the skull with certain drugs that mostly cleared any residue of brain tissue and also had the effect of killing bacteria. Next, the embalmers made an incision along the flank with a sharp blade fashioned from an Ethiopian stone and removed the contents of the abdomen, a process that was part of the most expensive embalming, according to archaeological evidence. The abdominal cavity was then rinsed with palm wine and infusion of crushed fragrant herbs and spices. The cavity was then filled with spices, including myrrh, cassia, and the the book I mentioned, Herodotus or whatever. Uh, every notes, every other sp- sort of spice except frankincense. Hmm. The body was further dehydrated by placing it in natron, a naturally occurring salt. If you were wondering, for seventy days. Okay. Uh, the book, Herodotus, insists that the body did not stay in the natron longer than 70 days. It insists that any shorter time in the body is not completely dehydrated any longer, and the body is too stiff to move into position for wrapping. Yeah, it becomes uh, beef jerky. It makes me think of that lady from that episode of SpongeBob in the wheelchair with the chocolate. Yep. That's chocolate. So you turn into. What did he say? He said chocolate. Mm-hmm. I remember chocolate. <laughs> 
The embalmers then washed the body again and wrapped it with linen bandages. The bandages were covered with a gum that modern research has shown as both waterproofing agent and an antimicrobial agent. Was it Wrigley's? It was. Hmm. It was Big League Chew. (laughs) At this point, the body was given back to the family. These perfect mummies were then placed in wooden cases that were human-shaped. Richer people placed these wooden cases in stone sarcophagi that provided further protection. Sarcophagi. Sarcophagi. The family placed the sarcophagus in the tomb upright against the wall. The second process, numero, Mm -hmm. uh, is used by middle class people. A little cheaper, not your deluxe mummification. Or people who wish to avoid expense. Mm -hmm. In this method, an oil derived from cedar trees was injected with a syringe into the abdomen. A rectal plug prevented the oil from escaping. This oil probably had the dual purpose of liquefying the internal organs, but also of disinfecting the abdominal cavity. (laughs) Imagine when they first found that out. They inject it into the body and then they just see it. Oh, all right, we're going to need to plug that <laughs> well, up. That was counterproductive. <laughs> uh, the body was then placed in natron for 70 days. At the end of this time, the body was removed and the cedar oil now containing the liquefied organs was drained through the rectum. With the body dehydrated, it could be returned to the family. The inexpensive method. The third and last method. The embalmers offered to clear the intestines with an unnamed liquid injected as an enema. The body was then placed in natron for 70 days and returned to the family. There is no further details. Short and sweet. Good times. You're going to talk about mummy powder. Mm, that's right. Thank you. Let me pull up an article on mummy powder. Okay, so it's literally just um, a wellness supplement made from the finely milled corpses of embalmed ancient Egyptian royalty. It's called powdered mummy. Oh, can you get this at like a CVS? Uh, not anymore, but it was really common back in the day. How long ago was back in the day? Um, let me get a time frame for you. Hmm. Like, did I just miss it? <laughs> I think it's still the thing that's used. Huh. But I don't think it's royalty. A supplement for what exactly? Uh, it was applied to the skin or powdered and mixed into drinks as a treatment for bruising and other ailments. <laughs> like uh, protein powder. Yeah, mix it Give me a mummy powder. But yeah, hmm. that's mummy powder. Interesting. Ooh. That's mummies. Thank anyone, you for listening. That's anyone, the episode. <laughs> if anyone has any mummy powder, if you can send send some of that our way, um, we'd love to check it out. Try some. What makes you think I haven't tried it? I, you probably would have told me. You're right, I would have. So I'm going to talk about two examples of modern day mummies. I am excited. I am barely containing it. Uh, one of these I was pretty familiar with uh, thanks to Vsauce that talked about uh, this person. And then the second one I just kind of knew of. Okay. Um, I haven't really, like, I didn't really do research or know many details about it, but I knew of it. And you probably will, too, when I talk about it. But uh, one famous example of a modern mummy is Jeremy Bentham. Bentham, born February 15th, 1748, died June 6th, 1832, was an English philosopher, jurist, and social reformer regarded as the founder of modern utilitarianism. Damn. So utilitarianism, if you don't know, which I didn't, is the ethical doctrine 
that virtue is based on utility and that conduct should be directed towards promoting the greatest happiness of the greatest number of persons. Hmm. This is all from ucl.ac.uk um, from this college's website. On the ground floor of UCL's student center stands a glass case containing a figure which has been a source of curiosity and perplexity to visitors. The cabinet contains Bentham's preserved skeleton, dressed in his own clothes and surmounted by a wax head. Bentham requested that his body be preserved in this way in his will made shortly before his death on June 6, 1832. Bentham did not leave his body to UCL as it was only given to the college in 1850. For many years, the auto icon was displayed in a wooden cabinet in the south cloisters of the Wilkins Building, but on February 20th, 2020, it was relocated to its new case in UCL's Student Center on Gordon Square. Not surprisingly, this peculiar relic has given rise to numerous myths and legends. One of the most commonly recounted is that the auto icon regularly attends meetings of the college council, and that it is solemnly wheeled into the council room to take its place among the present-day members. Its presence, it is claimed, is always recorded in the minutes with the words Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting. (laughs) Another version of the story asserts that the auto icon does vote, but only on occasions when the votes of the other council members are equally split. In these cases, the auto icon invariably votes for the motion. Of course, none of this is true. Bentham had originally intended that his head should be part of the auto icon, and for ten years before his death, so runs another story, carried around in his pocket the glass eyes which were to adorn it. Unfortunately, when the time came to preserve it for posterity, the process of desiccation as practiced by New Zealand Maori, went disastrously wrong, robbing the head of most of its facial expression Uh and leaving it decidedly unattractive. The wax head was therefore substituted, and for some years the real head, with its glass eyes, reposed on the floor of the auto icon between Bentham's legs. So his head sat between his legs. Okay. In 1948, the head was placed inside a specially constructed wooden box to give it more protection. The box was too large to fit inside the auto icon, and so it was displayed on top of the case containing the auto icon until 1956, when it was put on a plinth. What's a a plinth? It's a pedestal over the door to the cloisters leading to the eastern staircase. I know what a cloister is. I didn't, and I found out, and I was like, oh, that's what cloisters are. Yeah. They're beautiful. They're pretty... uh, They're pretty pretty. Uh, This is the extract from Bentham's will. And I'll try to read it like him. I just noticed you finished your beer. My body I give to my dear friend Dr. Southwood Smith to be disposed of in a manner hereinafter mentioned. And I direct... He will take my body under his charge and take the requisite and appropriate measures for the disposal and preservation of the several parts of my bodily frame in the manner expressed in the paper annexed to this my will and at the top which I have written, auto icon. Love that you went British. The skeleton he will cause to be put together in such a manner as that the whole figure may be seated in a chair, usually occupied by me when living, in the attitude in which I am sitting when engaged in thought in the course of time employed in writing. 
I direct that the body thus prepared shall be transferred to my executor. He will cause the skeleton to be clad in one of the suits of black occasionally worn by me. Executor? Yep. Executor. Yes. (laughs) The body so clothed, together with the chair and the staff in the my later years borne by me, he will take charge of, and for containing the whole apparatus, he will cause to be prepared an appropriate box or case, and will cause to be engraved in conspicuous characters on a plate to be affixed thereon, and also on the labels on the glass cases in which the preparations of the soft parts of my body shall be contained. My name at length with the letters OB, followed by the day of my decease. If it should so happen that my personal friends and other disciples should be disposed to meet together on some day or days of the year for the purpose of commemorating the founder of the greatest happiness system of morals and legislation, my executor will from time to time cause to be conveyed to the room in which they meet the said box or case with the contents therein to be stationed in such part of the room as to the assembled company shall seem meet. That was intense and I didn't listen to a single word of it. I was trying to follow along and I could not. Mm-mm. Not a clue. Uh, and the end of uh, Queen's Spare Place, Westminster, Wednesday, 30th of May, 1832. Hmm. R.I.P. Lost but never forgotten. Well, he's still there, so it's hard, it's hard to forget him. And he's not lost. However. However. The, the head apparently proved an irresistible target for students, especially from King's College, London, who stole the head in 75, 1975 and demanded a ransom of £100 to be paid to the charity shelter. UCL finally agreed to pay the ransom of £10, and the head was returned. Another myth states that the head, again stolen by students, was eventually found in a luggage locker at a Scottish, rail- a Scottish railway station. The last straw, so yet runs another myth, came when it was discovered in the front quadrangle being used for football practice, and the head was uh, henceforth placed in a secure storage. Of course, the merest glance at both Bentham's real head or the auto icon's wax head is evidence enough that this particular story is nonsense. Yep. After the theft in 1975, a memo dated November 3rd, 1975, instructed that the head be put in the strong room of the records department. In 2005, it was relocated to the conservation safe in the Institute of Archaeology. It was decided that as human remains, it was inappropriate to put the head on public display, and particularly given the head's fragility, since since then permission to view has been granted only in exceptional circumstances by the curator of the college collections. That's intense. So no one is allowed to see this unless exceptional circumstances exist. It's like exist. Disney's brain. Yeah. Or like uh, Walt Disney being cryogenically frozen. I literally just said Disney's brain. I didn't know that if that's what you're referring to. Brain. Yeah. The, the whole dude. They said that there's a joke that just his brain is frozen. Oh, just his brain? I thought it was the whole guy. The whole guy. Yep. Many people have speculated as to exactly why Bentham chose to have his body preserved in this way, with explanations ranging from a practical joke at the expense of posterity, a wish to inspire others to follow his his example of donating their bodies to advance medical science, to a sense of overwhelming self-importance. Wikipedia actually states he asked that his body be displayed to illustrate how the horror at dissection originates in ignorance. Once so displayed and lectured about, he asked that his body parts be preserved, including his skeleton. 
Perhaps the auto icon may be more plausibly regarded as an attempt to question religious sensibilities about life and death. Yet whatever Bentham's true motives, the auto icon will always be a source of fascination and debate, and will serve as a perpetual reminder of the man whose ideals inspired the institution in which it stands. That was beautiful. Thanks. I uh, The reason I knew about this one is because Michael Stevens of Vsauce actually talked about him in an episode where... Uh, there's this website still exists. It's a very basic site. Oh shit, that's um, so old. We'll include it in uh, on Podbean on the link on the on the sidebar for the episode. Uh, just says, beware the mummy. This is Jeremy Bentham's mummified corpse and wax head on display at University College London, UCL. The second and third pictures show Bentham's real head at his feet. So I have uh, a, a better photo here. This is um, the wax figure. Okay. I like how his legs look so tiny. Or I'm sorry, this is the actual mummy of him with the wax head. Um, and then this is as he looked alive. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to see his head. Um, so there's his corpse. Gross. And there's his head. Gross. Doesn't look very good. It looks like it's in a gimp mask. A little, yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah, it looks like his mouth was maybe sh- sewn shut. He's a talker. There he is. That ain't, that ain't looking good. No. Did not age well. Did not. Um, and then at the bottom of this website, because this is what Michael Stevens talked about, you can check out the 300, uh, 360 rotatable version. Why um, does it say beware the mummy at the top? I don't know. That's... Uh, maybe mummies are scary? I guess. Um, but if you clicked on this link, it would bring you to a website where you can actually rotate. Um, I think it was this... This That's figure. A, that was a building. You could rotate it 360 degrees and see what he looks like in his chair. However, the website has been taken down. Oh. If you try to use the Wayback Machine, which I tried to do, um, it needs Flash Player, and Flash has since been discontinued. Don't talk about that. Yeah, unfortunately. That's sad. Uh, and then the second case I have uh, here is um, the mummification of Vladimir Lenin. Oh. So Lenin, born April 22nd, 1870 to January 21st, 1924, was a Russian revolutionary, politician, and political theorist. He served as the first and founding head of government of Soviet Russia from 1917 to 1924 and of the Soviet Union from 1922 to 1924. Under his administration, Russia and the later and later the Soviet Union became a one-party socialist state governed by the so- Soviet Communist Party. A Marxist, he developed a variant of this communist ideology known as Leninism. So that's Vladimir Lenin, if you don't know who he is. I've heard of him before. I don't know much about him. So two days after his death, architect Alexei... This is a lot of Russian names in it. I'm going to try. Alexei Shutsev. Alexei Shutsev was tasked with building a structure suitable for viewing of the body by mourners. A wooden tomb was ready on January 27th, and later that day, Lenin's coffin was placed inside. More than 100,000 people visited the tomb in the next six weeks. By August 1924, Shuchiv has replaced the tomb with a larger one, and Lenin's body was transferred to a sarcophagus. Pathologist Alex- Alexei Ivanovich Abrikosov, Abrikosov had embalmed Lenin's body shortly after his death, but by 1929, it was determined that it would be 
uh, possible to preserve the body for much longer than usual. Huh. Therefore, the next year, a new mausoleum was completed. In 1973, a new sarcophagus was designed. Lennon's body was removed in October 1941 and evacuated to Tumen, Siberia, when it appeared that Moscow might be in danger of capture by German troops in World War II. After the war, it was returned and the tomb reopened. More than 10 million people visited Lenin's tomb between 1924 and 1972. One of the main problems the embalmers faced was the appearance of dark spots on the skin, especially on the face and hands. They managed to solve the problem by use of a variety of different reagents. For example, if a patch of wrinkling or discoloration occurred, it was treated with a solution of acetic acid and ethyl alcohol diluted with water. Hydrogen peroxide could be used to restore the tissue's original coloring. Until the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, the continued preservation work was funded by the Soviet government. At that point, the government discontinued financial support and private donations then supported and, and private donations then supported the preservation staff. In 2016, the Russian government reversed its earlier decision and said it planned to spend 13 million rubles to preserve the body. Rubles. Uh, that's 175,000 US dollars. The mausoleum is open to the public on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 1300, 1 p.m. Visitors still queue to see Lenin's body, although queues are not as long as they once were. Entrance is free of charge. Before visitors are allowed to enter the mausoleum, armed police or military guards search them. Visitors are required to show respect whilst inside the tomb. Photography and filming inside the mausoleum are forbidden, as is talking, smoking, keeping hands in pockets, or wearing hats, unless you're female. You can wear a hat if you're a female? Yep. Since 1991, there has been some discussion about removing Lenin's body to the Kremlin Wall necropolis and burying it there. President Boris Yeltsin, Yeltsin, with the support of the Russian Orthodox Church, intended to close the tomb and bury Lenin next to his mother, Maria Alex Alexandrovna Yulinova, at the Volkov Cemetery in St. Petersburg. His successor, Vladimir Putin, Putin, opposed this, pointing out that a reburial of Lenin would imply that generations of citizens had observed false values during 70 years of Soviet rule. Damn. So he's still on display. Uh, this is the um, mausoleum as it existed in 2006. Hmm. I'm sure it still looks very similar to that. Uh, and then this is Lenin. Looks it's, like he needs a hug. He's chilling. Having a good time. Hanging out. Look at him. Those little fingies. He still looks really good. Look at those little fingers. Yeah. And his, his little moustache. He looks uh, look up like a person sleeping. They preserved him pretty well. Like um, Russian Snow White. <laughs> he's just waiting for his prince to come. Kiss him. Kiss someone right in his Russian lips. Yeah, I'll probably bring him back to life. And, of course, all these pictures will be available to view on our website. That's all I got. Good times. Beardfearcast at gmail.com. Beardfearcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. What did you think of the beer? Uh, I hate that you just asked me that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you didn't. I'm not okay with that. Yep, you didn't. Okay, well, what did you think of the beer? I asked you first. You better edit it and make it sound like I asked you because this is not something I'm willing to change. 
You just you skipped it. You went right, right ahead okay, to our well, email. That's the power of editing. Right ahead to our email. No, I, I don't think I no, can edit that. No, I, I don't think gonna, I can. I can't. You're gonna make it happen. I'm not. I'm not God. Don't worry. I'm not magic. I give you the option. I'll give you a couple voiceover <laughs> options. What did you think of the beer? What did you think of the beer? What did you think of the beer? They're all great. Thank you. I was giving you a couple options. Wonderful. <clears throat> Delicious, juicy, <laughs> juicy, hoppy, fruity, uh, piney, piney, little plantish, <laughs> little plant, little plant like. Um, it, yeah, it's uh, you know, hazy IPA, hazy New England IPA. Um, if you like beer and you like IPAs, chances are you've had one of these, and you you, you pretty you have a pretty good idea of what it tastes like. Sure. Um, the cashmere hops is interesting. Uh, definitely a, you know, a different spin on a hazy IPA, uh, something that we're not used to, um, from previous ones that we've had, but we've had plenty of hazy New England IPAs on the show. All very delicious. I've enjoyed all of them. Mm, it's true. I don't think I've complained about one. Mm-hmm. That's all you wanted to add on the beer? Um, personally, I liked it. I thought it was a little bitter, um because of all the hop. Um, I really enjoyed the smell. Uh, I don't think I... The best way I can gauge something is if I'm like, if I'm at a restaurant and I'm like, um, would I get this again? Like, is this so good I would drink it again? And I just, I don't think I'd drink it again. Yeah. I think uh, that might partly have to do with the fact that you're very familiar with this beer style. I'd also say that I'm not much of a like a re- a repeat drinker. Like I don't buy like packs of beer, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna drink this whole pack of beer. Yeah, like the last time we went out to craft it, each of your beers were different. That's usually what I try to do too. every single time, unless I really really like it. You you'll repeat a little bit more often, yeah. Yeah, yeah like that that banana bread beer that I had. Yeah, you get that constantly. That's pretty good. Every time I go, I get something different. Uh, yeah, like Paige said, beer and fearcast at gmail dot com. Beer and fearcast at gmail dot com. Should have a jingle and run some commercials. We're on Facebook. Follow us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Beer and Fearcast. At the at sign, Beer and Fearcast. That's where where we release all of our new episodes. Announce all of our new episodes. Um, Stay up to date. Catch us on Spotify. On Spoofy. Or uh, whatever you listen to podcasts on. That's where we're at. And I think that's it. I think you're right. That is it. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs>